certainly we've seen the, the example of young men, you know, most often who really spend 14, 16 hours a day playing video games and, and really stopping only to eat maybe once or twice a day and for, uh, for some sleep. For Hartford HealthCare, I'm Enron Pierre. And this is More Life. In today's podcast, Dr. Paul Weigel, Associate Medical Director for Ambulatory Services at Notchog Hospital, part of the Hartford HealthCare Behavioral Health Network, and chair of the American Academy of Child and Adolescent Psychiatry's Media Committee, gives us some gaming tips with our kids and helps us take control, or maybe even the controller. Welcome, Dr. Weigel. We're going to get into the pitfalls of potential gaming abuse and addiction, but for kids who may not be experiencing a real problem, is it a good idea for parents to try to get in on the game? I, I'm, I might be showing my age, but I can remember playing Zelda or, you know, Mario Brothers with my kids, and mm-hmm. it was fun, but it's a whole mm-hmm. new world now. Is that sacred ground? Do we even try, <laughs> do we even try to, to get in on the game or, or no? And I think that is an excellent idea. You know, as parents, the the best attitude that we can take and stance we can take with helping our kids to develop healthy media uh, experiences and habits is really to be more of a guide and less of a cop, you know, per se. And one great way to do that is to, you know, is to meet them where they're at and, and play the games with them. And, and a lot of times, you know, we as parents don't like to do that for a couple of reasons. One is that it's a little bit of a role reversal because all of a sudden we're in their world. Um, and I'm sure you remember, um, you remember getting defeated easily uh, by, uh, uh, by your kids in Zelda and, and making all the wrong moves. But I do think it can be a healthy role reversal where they're sort of uh, advising us how to do it. And it also, it, it's, it's a chance to have a positive experience together. It's a chance to understand what is important to kids and, uh, and, and a little bit more about what they're doing uh, with their, their screen habits. And, and we can use that experience as a way to sort of talk about the game or, you know, talk about values that are important to us and help guide future choices, uh, media choices. And, and it's important for us to uh, have an open dialogue with our kids as much as possible about uh, their screen habits so we can be a resource for them. And that does mean that oftentimes we have to hold our tongue. And really, we want to avoid having a judgmental or a blaming tone. Um, when kids do share the, um, information about their screen habits, you know, especially when it's concerning uh, to us, that a lot of times, you know, it, it's important to help the child to develop their own thinking about their uh, their screen media habits whenever possible. Now it's harder than ever for parents to really monitor that stuff. You know, we're not mm-hmm. looking over their shoulder at a desktop. It's in the palm of their hand or they're down the street and they can access it on their phone. Mm-hmm. What choices do parents have as far as monitoring game time goes? Well, and of course, the younger kids are, the more they're likely to need, uh, you know, monitoring and, and supervision uh, of their screen habits. And so the younger they are, the more important it is to be on larger screens rather than smaller screens and for those screens to stay in public areas of the home. So not mm-hmm. in bedrooms, behind closed doors where they can't be supervised, not in bathrooms, that kind of thing. And that's another great reason for parents, again, to, to watch videos with their kids, to play games with their kids so they can get a sense about what they are, 
watching and to try to maintain a relatively positive open dialogue about media choices. And that means that when kids, for example, first get on social media, when they're first learning on uh, social media, the, the, the parent really could be there the whole time and they could make posts together. Mm-hmm. And that's a great way to sort of get started and, you know, start to teach about what's, what's appropriate and what's not. However, uh, a lot of times that's just impossible for parents. And some kids do need supervision when they're on screens. Now, I think the, the, the best way to do this is to be proactive. And so when, when a kid first gets, their, gets a first you know, iPhone or iPad, there are excellent parental controls on uh, those devices. Parents can learn about and restrict what type of media is available, whether kids able to download apps or go on the, the web. And I, it's my opinion that kids should start out with many sort of restrictions in place. It can also um, determine how, how long it will function per day. You know, if they get an hour or two of, of iPad time and then it turns off, for example. And this can be really, really helpful. Um, a lot of times it's so much easier um, when the device turns off on its own rather than when a parent has to yeah. intervene and sometimes physically remove the device from from uh, from a child. So they can be really helpful. Now, of course, with these type of controls, savvy kids can sometimes get around them. And this is absolutely the truth. Um, so this it means that these controls are not a replacement for supervision, but they can be a, a, a helpful tool when combined with traditional you know, supervision, keeping an eye on things. Uh, it, it's my advice that if parents are going to be watching, and of course there is monitoring software that's available, and sometimes it's appropriate, in my opinion. But but if parents are going to do this, I do recommend that, that they let kids know up front that they're doing it and not try to, you know, do so surreptitiously okay. and, and, and not fall for the idea that, that necessarily that, that parents don't have the right, you know, to do this, especially when kids are posting things publicly, you know, online and having exposure to, uh, to sometimes inappropriate material that, that parents have to look out for, violent material, pornography, that kind of thing. Wow, that's great advice. So take full advantage of the parental controls that come with your device especially with younger kids. Absolutely. And and remember that monitoring what they're doing online is supervision. It's not spying. You know, if, if you let them know and you, you're up front with it, it's, it's not spying. It's, it's just supervision, which kids need. Let's talk about the impact screen time can have on our physical health. We know that people who spend a lot of time on, on screen entertainment tend to have a much worse diet than those of us who spend less time. We make less mindful choices about what we're eating and how much we eat when we're playing video games or engaged in screen media. So the more time that people spend on screens, the more likely they are to eat junk food, to have physical activity and exercise, and more likely to be obese. And in the long term, putting us at risk for uh, diabetes, hypertension, and, and high cholesterol the more time we spend on screens. Also, clinical experience finds that those who are spending an excessive uh, amount of time on screen media are more likely to have back and neck pain because of uh, poor posture and lack of stretching and strengthening that comes with physical movement and exercise. What's your take on virtual reality games? They're getting more accessible, more affordable. Yeah, so uh, if you've tried a, a new uh, contemporary virtual reality machine, machine, you can see how incredibly engaging they are. Have, have you tried yeah, it, Anne? I did, and I, I'll be honest, it freaked me out a little bit. 
I see. All right. So certainly uh, not too engaging for you personally, but they are, they can be incredibly uh, realistic and really make you feel like you're in, a, you've stepped into a different world. Yeah. And it is a concerning trend in that with uh, excessive gaming play, for example, it's not that the games are, are necessarily bad for you. Usually they're not. But it's the fact that they can really crowd out all the other things in your life, that they, they can be so engaging that you don't want to stop in the moment. And when you're doing a virtual reality game, you really are cut off from any cues that you're spending too much time playing the game, right? You can't see the clock on the wall. You can't see the faces of the people around you. Yeah, like the <laughs> casino environment yeah. where you do, you lose track of time. Yes. Yes, and, and it's done that way for a reason, because these are industries whose goal is to get us playing and keep us playing as much as possible, and they really don't have any incentive to encourage healthy moderation. And so the virtual reality games are you know, concerning in that way, in that they, they can be more and more engaging. And, and for many of us, you know, we can play a little bit and enjoy it, and then we'll be done, and we turn it off, and, and that's it. But for some people, it can be so engaging that it can really cause terrible, terrible problems. Certainly, we've seen the, the example of young men, you know, most often, who really spend 14, 16 hours a day playing video games and, and really stopping only to eat maybe once or twice a day and for, uh, for some sleep. Like other addictions, typically, there are people in their lives who love them and care about them who unintentionally enable this behavior. For instance, you know, a kid stays up all night playing video games and then he doesn't want to go to school in the morning because he's exhausted. A parent might, a concerned, loving, thoughtful parent might call him out of school and say that he's sick and unintentionally make the problem worse. Or a young man stops coming to dinner and he's not leaving his game, you know, in order to eat. And, and a well-meaning parent might bring food to his bedroom and put it right next to his computer hoping that he'll eat. Again, these are things that shield the young person from the consequences of their action in the short term, but they, they tend to enable the problem and make it worse in the long term. And we've certainly seen examples of young men who, who have become you know, cachectic, who have um, uh, become underweight because they have stopped eating and very often you know, not paying attention to do, uh, you know, their body's sanitary needs and grooming and that kind of thing. So with some people, you know, these games can really cause terrible, terrible problems in their lives. And again, for most of us, that's not the case. But for some people, they really can. And, and the virtual reality does, just threatens to take that to a whole different level. And what would your recommendation be if you saw those sorts of signs in someone? And like you said, it could be natural for a parent unknowingly to be kind of enabling is it time for professional help there, or is there something we can do in between? So if a parent is concerned in general that you know their, their kid's uh, excessive screen time is, isn't healthy for them, is causing them to miss out on other things or causing them to lose sleep, then the first thing to do is, is to try to help the kids to control their habit. And with younger kids, of course, this is easier, and parents can be more directive. They can simply take the device away. They can, um, you know, set limits on how much time the, the device will function and maybe reward kids when they're able to get off without a problem and, you know, maybe uh, have natural consequences when they have tantrums and, and they're not able to get off. But if parents, again, if they feel that they really can't do that, if they feel like they can't help their child achieve a reasonably healthy balance with their screen time, then 
just like you said, and it, it is time to seek help. And there are different levels of care that are available for people who have this problem. You know, for those with relatively mild issues, seeing a family and individual counselor, you know, once a week can often be sufficient. For those who are more severe, who is causing problems where kids have stopped going to school or they're failing in school or they've become depressed and suicidal, oftentimes a more intensive treatment is needed, like the daily after-school group therapy program that we have at the Joshua Center, um, different uh, programs like that that are more intensive, sometimes a home-based treatment where family therapists are in the home every day that can be wonderfully helpful. However, if, if parents are really concerned that, that about the safety of their child or of a loved one in the short term, then it can be the best thing to contact emergency services to make sure that that person is, is safe. Thank you, Dr. Paul Weigel. Sometimes people need a bit of emotional support. You can get that assistance anytime, day or night, by calling Hartford HealthCare's Community Care Center hotline at one 833 621-0600. Experts from our Behavioral Health Network are available now. Thanks for listening to More Life. I'm ready for my close-up. All the faces start to light up. You know I love this feeling. I got more life in my life. If you feel it, then you'll know. We can go anywhere we want to go. 